Welcome to Give Him Hell, Brigham. Jeff, it kind of seems like we've just moved from a, being a Wednesday show to a Thursday show, or maybe from a Thursday morning show, because we usually publish late Wednesday night to being, you know, a Thursday afternoon show. But, you know, we had we had to get Ryan Hancock on the show, right? We talked about this last week. We talked to him today. We got him going. We actually ran out of time. Uh, so we'll hear in his guest segment later, uh, we ran out of time and kind of had to cut it short. So we're gonna have to get him back again, but I think we just let him go talk about like that game that he had on, uh, whatever, 25 years ago as June 9th, 1996. And, um, which I didn't, I just realized it's six, nine, nine, six. That's kind of cool that that day was the same forwards and backwards. Um, (laughs) but the, you know, we just kind of let him go. And so it was really cool to hear his perspective. So we're going to get to that. But I have a conspiracy theory for us. And I, sh- I cannot wait. I shared this with you when I saw the TikTok. So have you seen the conspiracy theory about Khloe Kardashian and OJ Simpson? I think many may be yes. familiar with it. That it's they look very similar and she doesn't really they do. look like her sisters. Yep. Her nose yep. is very similar to OJ's. Yeah. So apparently the latest theory is that. Fidel Castro is actually Justin Trudeau's biological father. Which sounds bananas. It, and it is. It is bananas. But also maybe it's real. It is also maybe real. So one, if you look at a picture of them side by side, they also There's have some the similarities. Nose. Oh, like uh-huh. I'm gonna send you, I'm gonna send you this picture right now. And this is like, yeah, they could be twins. And but also, apparently, uh, Justin's father, Pierre, and his mother, they were known um, to live, uh, how do we put this on a family show, to live an alternative lifestyle. <laughs> this picture. <laughs> they even have the same mustache. Yes. And so, <laughs> so they, uh, yeah, so apparently um, the Castros, like, or not the Castros, the uh, Trudeaus like to host uh different sorts of adult parties if you listen they're swingers okay Okay. like what's to say it and they went to cuba and did you know hung out with fidel around the time roughly nine months ish before justin was born and that kind i mean you look at the pictures but the biggest thing is that the canadian government came out and said no justin trudeau is not fidel castro's illegitimate child okay yeah like why if, is the canadian government saying something? why do you need to say if it's such a preposterous thing you just let it go you ignore it okay you you ignore stupid rumors so I, the fact that they're saying it i'm telling you you There's look at the legs. pictures this is castro trudeau is up there with kardashian simpson in terms of lookalikes oddly close family relationships speaking of swingers um i learned in the relatively recent past. Oh, I'm scared where this is going. That flamingos and pineapples. Do you know what they mean in relation to a swinger? Oh, is it like people put it up in front of their house being like yeah. down to party? Yeah. Well, like, so if you see a house that's got like plastic flamingos in their yard, I I don't know like if that's like the universal, hey, we're ready sign. I don't know if that's like the come knock on my door, like your swinger tracting sign. Uh, I don't know what it is, but apparently those two things are like telltale signs of someone who's open and ready to swing. So the reason I bring that up 
is if you are not a swinger and you're just pro flamingo or pro pineapple, you might get some weird solicitors that once they realize you're not in an open relationship, they quickly pretend like they're selling solar once they knock on your door. So if you get a lot of solicitors, maybe that's why. Now, this is an educational segment. This is, One, we, Justin Trudeau. I don't want to know how you learned this. Uh, this one is just weird late night internet things, which makes it sound even more yeah, this isn't helping of what case. my what my behavior was. But just I don't know. I think I was probably watching something on YouTube about flamingos, and then you just start clicking enough links, and then okay, flamingos and swiggers. All right, let's watch this video. I don't know, man. YouTube gets me into some weird stuff sometimes, and that's, that that's algorithm happens. it'll get you. But it's, yes, it's bad. That is, I mean, that is our conspiracy theory. And after seeing that picture that I sent you, and we'll post ah. it on this, are you on board with it? Uh, yeah, because well, I'm on board with maybe every... not, maybe not necessarily 100% believing it, but it's definitely the oh yeah, that's definitely a possibility yeah, category. Yeah, I'm there. Hey, and before we get into uh, our show here, I have a complaint, and I'm going to complain really. To you, people, listeners, we just had, I'm going to verify that this is true. Uh, I'm stalling. This is me filibustering, but I have an assumption in my head. We just had our lowest listened to episode since July of last year. Man. Now, I get that it's the off season, and two weeks ago, it was a, a, a pretty good episode for us so i don't want to make it sound like well you know we're dying and that's what's happening here but also folks come on here let's listen to the show let's share let's subscribe we've got to grow this platform well in about two weeks we're going to be able to start contracting uh we will be able to pay isaac rex to be our official sponsor and run with the elk in about two weeks that will be big so once this NIL thing, that's what, where we're really going to turn the corner is yeah. with the NIL, NIL changes. Yep. Okay. So just for what it's worth, friends, family, you know, whoever, whether you like us or not, just help us, help us out, help us out by, by spreading the show. And we need to be more active on social media and promoting the show. Uh, and we will. But it's the off season. So I, I, I get it. I get why you're not listening to off season content. But today, we have a loaded show of real content. It's Media Day as we speak. I hate Media Day. I mean, I love Media Day in the sense that it's the beginning of football season. But I hate Media Day because, for whatever reason, we have convinced ourselves that Media Day is supposed to be like emergency press conference for BYU when they are going to give us all sorts of groundbreaking news yeah but that's or not what media day when is. did so, it's somewhere along the way it got to the point where everybody would assume or think like oh we're gonna get scheduling announcements like when did yeah. have we ever gotten scheduling announcements on media like i think one? we did i think we did that first time but that was because there were so many things that were happening but like think of media day for conferences sec media day goes two days pac-12 media day i think goes two days now what is it? It's okay. There's a state of the conference by the conference commissioner. And then it's in Las Vegas for the PAC 12. Each program brings one head coach, 
and two players, and they just go on an interview circuit of just answering the same basic questions all day long. You don't really learn anything. It's just sort of this, it's meant for the media, right? In the sense that now the media has content to create. They have an opportunity to, to talk to coaches, to talk to a few players, and to create some preseason content to prepare us for training camp. And I that's another pet peeve today. I'm a little upset today. I, I apparently want to complain a lot. I'm already complaining about people listening, and I have a complaint here. We have got to stop calling it fall camp. It starts in July it, or August. It's time to stop calling it fall camp. It's yeah. training. That's what yeah. it is. Because, yeah, well, I mean, I don't know. It's going in the fall semester. I think we need to change the dates of when we consider fall to start, right? Like, that's another thing we get into. Like, it's like summer doesn't officially start till July 20th. That's bullcrap, right? Like, nobody does that. Or or June 20th, whatever. Yeah, it's June 20th because it's like the summer. Or like winter doesn't start till December 21st. Like, no, start it the first of that month. Like that is one thing that Eastern Europe has figured out much better than the U S like September 1st. That's the first day of fall. We don't need to get halfway through. And then we've got three weeks of fall that we're calling summer. And then three weeks of winter that we're calling fall. And then three weeks of spring that we're calling winter, just move it all up to the first of the month. And then you can say fall camp, right? Because it's like, okay, we're getting there. It's camp. We're getting ready for the fall season because it starts, but now as it is, you're a quarter of the way through the season by the time fall officially starts. So yeah, until we fix the calendar as a whole, which is a much bigger problem than this platform will allow us to fix. uh, Yeah. It's, it's just camp. I don't even call it fall camp. It's just, it's camp, right? Like it's spring ball and camp. I mean, that's kind of what it is. I don't know. I, I just hate fall camp. Like we call it fall camp. It's not fall camp of all the things I know. And of all of the things that we can call it, fall camp can't be it. Call it whatever else you want. You just don't call it fall camp. It is not fall camp. There's nothing fall about this camp. And also, is it really camp? Like, I know what camp is. It's not like in a tent. But, like, these guys live there. They're just at home. Yeah, it's not really camp in the same way it is. Like the I mean, NFL training camp. Right. If you go to like the NFL, the CFL, their training camp, they are at a separate facility away right. from home. Like they're not even in their normal practice facility. It's like they go right. to a camp facility living in dorms. Like they're in a re- It's a retreat for those guys. Right. Like a practice retreat. This is just, hey, we get to practice. Great. Yeah. It's time to stop. It's time. Let's revolutionize camp because it is. We're just wrong. We're just talking about dumb stuff. But it is media day, and there's going to be lots of dumb stuff that is talked about today, but there is some good stuff. Tom Homo, did he? Okay, in the past, all right, here's here's the line that we always get from Tom Homo anytime any conference affiliation stuff is brought up. He always says something to the tune of, BYU is really happy with our independent situation. ESPN is a great partner for us, and we are committed to being an independent program, but we're always evaluating whether or not we should join a conference. That's typically the line. He doesn't usually add the evaluating. And maybe not even evaluating. It's just just, monitoring the landscape of college football. There's always like one little, very high-level caveat of, yeah, we're paying attention to it, but we're an independent, folks. Get on board. Uh, that was not the case today. No, and maybe maybe we're reading too much into it. Tom did look a little bit tired. 
Like he looked like he's been through some stuff over the last couple of weeks. And he probably has, it's been a pretty grueling year for the man. Um, but he straight said, yeah, the new CFP changes are good for us. And we are actively monitoring whether or not we should be in a conference. Yeah. And it's, I think it's, and we've talked about this on the show a bunch because, right. And actually I, I went back and looked and we can kind of go into this right now about how the, the mountain West is literal horse crap. Like there is Boise state whose mascot is a horse. And then there are the 11 other teams, which are a massive pile of crap. So I'm going to. Speaking of horse crap, uh, when we were at Boise State, the last time I went up there was the 2014 game that BYU just got the doors blown off of them. Uh, Before kickoff, kickoff was delayed just a couple of minutes. And if you weren't paying attention, you probably missed why. Uh, But there was a horse that they bring on a real live horse for i'm assuming the national anthem but it it shit on the field Gosh. and yeah we had had a delay the pooper scoopers probably the boy scouts the cub scouts rather they had to come and pick up the horse crap it really kind of embodies everything about the mountain west right so this i know some people so here's i'm gonna get kind of run through some stuff that i looked at last friday so just looking at the top 65, I chose 65 because currently there are 65 P5 teams, right? 64 in conferences plus Notre Dame, SP plus teams. So um, try to be objective, the best, you know, 65 teams who should be the P5, you know, the top whatever, regardless of conference. The AAC is firmly no man's land. I put a chart up. You can see there's like the P5 at the top, one line for the ACC, and then the G4. I'm going to call them the G4 now because it's like the ACC, the AAC, the American is firmly in the middle. So if you look at the over the course of the era or of the CFP era, Boise is the only school outside of the American. We're look, talking non-American in the G4. It's the only one to be in the top 65, seven out of seven years. BYU, App State, San Diego State are in their six out of seven. Then the the next highest is four. So, but then so of those, like of all these teams, so how many seven seasons times 65, however many hundred that is. The American has put 41 teams in the top part. That's an average of uh, 5.9 a year. The Mountain West has only put in 23 teams. So and seven of them are Boise. Boise and San Diego State account for 13 of them, of the appearances. The rest of the Mountain West combined is 10. If you take Boise and San Diego State out of the Mountain West, the Mountain West is on par with the MAC and Conference USA. That's how bad. It is. Well, think of if you think about that, right? Like, I say this with as much respect for our friends in New Mexico as I possibly can. If you are looking at your schedule and you have a game against New Mexico and a game against Northern Illinois, which one do you think you're going to lose more? Northern Illinois, 100 times out of 100. Which game are you more worried about if you're BYU? A game against Western Michigan or a game against Wyoming? probably Western Michigan, unless it's in Laramie in December. Right. Yeah. So if you look at the league average rating, the American is over the last seven years, is like minus 1.3. So zero is an average team. So they're just a little bit below average, whatever. Uh, the Mountain West, if you take out Boise, then their average rating is a minus 7.05. And so right around where the Mac and Conference USA are. And if, and then I broke it down looking at the top half and the bottom half of each league. 
And then also looked at if you added up, you know, added BYU, Boise, and San Diego State to the American. And if you did that, then it basically, I mean, it puts the American where the American already is closer to, well, the American is already closer to the lowest P5 in any given year than it is to the next highest G4. But if you add BYU, Boise, and San Diego State, then that pushes it up to like being closer to the SEC than it is to the next highest G4, G4. Like it just outright, like going back to the Mountain West in, is never under any circumstances, not a logical thing. Now the American, we talked about this last week, like potentially, maybe, and I'm sure Tom Homo has been on the phone with Mike Oresco this week talking about things because this changes things. One idea is I, I was looking on an AAC message board this week that was floated around that I don't hate because currently the American sitting in 11 teams. Uh, they have 11 teams for all sports because Navy is a football only member. And then Wichita state is a non-football member. So that's kind of like how they balanced it out is adding BYU as a football only member. The rest of the sports stay in the WCC and then going to the Atlantic 10 and getting VCU to leave the A-10 and joining that would actually, which would improve the basketball profile. So that becomes a very, that is a very solid league. And it would definitely, that league would have the clout to, it would, probably 19 out of 20 years, it would get the sixth conference champion spot. So here is the timeline that I want. And I think I sent this to you, but I'm going to read it now. We join the AAC. Utah fans mock us for not being P5 and finally coming to terms with the fact that we deserve to dwell in the lower kingdom of being a G5. The AAC gets the sixth auto bid every year for a decade and routinely beats Pac-12 teams which Josh Pate, another national 24-7 guy, he brought this up that he thinks if he generally thinks that given the demographics of the Southeast where most of the AAC is versus the West and the fan support in those areas and high school football participation rates that with increased access, he thinks that the American will overtake the Pac-12. I don't know. You're if not listening. I'm not listening to his late kick show. His, his podcast it's great. is incredible. It's great. It's and one I, of the best out there. And I don't know if it's like, that's likely, but I think there's definitely a chance, right? Like, I mean, if, look at how much things have changed in the last 20 years. Who knows what they're going to be like in another 20 years? Anyway, so the AAC gets a sixth bid every year for a decade and routinely beats Pac-12 teams. All of the AAC teams in the South now stop losing players to middle-of-the-road P5 teams in other leagues. So, right, like, you know, instead of going to Oregon State to say you're in the Pac-12, you stay home and go to ECU instead, whatever. They get a lot more funding from the new playoff access and build fan support from transplants going to these new major, pro now major programs in larger cities. So you move in, you don't have anywhere to go, like, oh, maybe I like college football, I'm going to go be a Houston fan because I don't really have a tie to necessarily any school in the area whatever the PAC 12 continues to drop because of lack of fan support and culture and demographic shifts on the West coast, Oregon and USC finally agree that they are done subsidizing everybody else. And they go independent and Utah is now left in the league with Arizona, Oregon state, Wazoo and Colorado that is on par with the Sunbelt in quality and has now faced the demise similar to that of the Southwest schools that didn't get invited to the big 12, such as rice, Houston, SMU, et cetera. That's the, that's the timeline I want. Like if I'm, if I have a crystal ball and I can foresee that happening 2000 times out of a hundred, we're going to the AAC because ultimately it leads to us going up in the demise of Utah football. That's what I want. Whoa. There's some pettiness there. Oh yeah. I mean, Very here's my so. thing. I don't really care what happens with <laughs> Utah. I really don't. Uh, that's but a I bonus. That's a bonus. Yeah, I mean, that's 
Uh, I, I mean, I like it. Like, if this happens, I won't complain, but I don't really care. But I do like, I like how much thought you put into this because there was clearly some effort. I mean, not like you were spending days, but you thought this through. This was well-researched and I, I enjoyed that. Uh, and I would get on board. Yeah. I mean, I really, definitely I don't, obviously I have no idea what will happen, but it's really, if you take Oregon and USC, those are the only two national brands in the entire Pac-12. And if you take them out, it really, I mean, UCLA, it really does like, change. Hmm, UCLA and Stanford, like they don't have fan support, but they're still UCLA and Stanford. Right. But it's like that name, that name means something, whether you're in California, Utah, or Virginia, you know, UCLA and Stanford. That's true. And so, and even, and even Washington, like that has some cachet as well. Yeah. I, so I don't, it'll be interesting to see like what happens, but what's going to that. And if maybe what, it all blows up in the, a whole new league emerges out of it, like, you know, maybe well, what's, it, what's going to be interesting to me is what we're seeing in the state of California is participation in high school football is dropping. Uh, high schools are dropping football altogether. Uh, we're not going to get into the politics of it, but I, I mean, you guys can, can see what we're talking about here, but typically the closer you get to the coasts, particularly the West coast, there is a lot more concern about the long-term viability of the physical nature of, of football. And there are more people playing lacrosse. There are more people playing other sports and fewer kids who are playing football. Now there's still a ton. It's still the number one sport in, in all of these States, but it's, it's dropping. And as more political, whatever happens, that creates this whatever it is that is whatever this catalyst is that is causing this the popularity of football to drop in the west is that continued what happens to these schools as over the next decade right like ucla washington stanford they have cachet today there's like we really as much as we want to mock it they do they may not be a national brand like alabama is or auburn is but they're as much of a national brand as Nebraska is. Right. And, but what's going to happen 10 years from now, what's going to happen 15 years from now when there are more Californians who are playing lacrosse, who are playing basketball, who are playing pickleball instead of playing football. Right. And even the players that are still there, California is just getting recruited nationally. Like it never has before. So I'm going to throw out 2021 because kids not being able to take visits. It was kind of a weird year with COVID and recruiting, right? So looking back at 2020, top players in California, going down the list, Alabama, Oregon, Clemson, Ohio State. Oh, got to number five before we hit USC. Clark Phillips was committed to Ohio State until signing day flipped to Utah, which is kind of, I still don't understand it, whatever. But then Georgia, Washington, Georgia, Washington, ASU, Washington, ASU, Stanford, ASU, Oregon, ASU, which we now know why all the ASU kids were going there. Um, but <laughs> Oklahoma State, Ohio State, Michigan, Oregon, Alabama, ASU, Oregon, Washington. Okay, out of the top 25 there's not, players, there's not many. two stayed in California, right? Like yeah. you had one to USC and one to Stanford. Out of the couple top trans- twenty-five, couple transferred back, right? Was that the right. year that uh, and so even his name went to Florida and then came back? The other one went to Texas and then came back. Right, you had right. a couple transfers, but it's—I mean, for the most part, it's like you know, yeah, California's it's getting pillaged. 
pillaged by out-of-state guys and guys are going to the east and so it's really just that football culture is not there and if you watch pac 12 games in california the stadium is empty like it's it is and it's it's kind of industry, not industry, region-wide. I mean, you'll you'll listen to Brandon Huffman. He'll talk about it. Blair Angulo has talked about it. Utah, the state of Utah, prep sports in the state of Utah, prep football in the state of Utah, it's the number two state in the West behind California. It's not Washington. It's not Arizona. It's not Nevada anymore. It, it's Utah. Uh, there's still kids that come out of Arizona and out of Nevada, out of that Vegas area. Bishop Gorman's still a powerhouse, right? I mean, so there's still top-end talent in each of these states. But top to bottom, Utah continues to get better each and every year. Where the rest of these states, they're on the decline. And I think that's an indicator of the future uh, th- that really the Pac-12 and their new, uh, what, what is his name, George, George Klyovkov, whatever his first yeah. name is, I can't remember. Their new commissioner's got to figure out not only how to salvage Pac-12 football, but he's got to reinvigorate fans and kids in California, in Nevada, in the West to play football. Because what BYU has is an opportunity, I think, to win some fans. We saw BYU win fans last year. And if BYU, whether they're an independent or whether they're in the AAC, as long as they can stay nationally relevant, like they, they have a brand and Utah has a brand. They're not a national brand, but the state of Utah is more passionate about football. The state of Utah is much closer to the state of Georgia when it comes to their, their political leanings and their belief on football than they are the state of California. And so that's an opportunity for schools like BYU and Utah, especially BYU, because they can get out of that Pac-12 bubble where, where everybody you're playing is kind of uh, indifferent towards the future. It's interesting. It's an interesting, interesting point. But the the only way I'm going to jump around on our agenda here a little bit, but the only way that BYU can really take the next step and capitalize on some of that momentum is is recruiting. And BYU had four commitments this week that I want to talk about. And, and we'll go back and talk some media day stuff and depth chart, things like that. But there were four commits this week. And I don't think any of them, you know, blew anybody's skirt up. Braxton Feely is rated an 84 on 24-7. I'm high on Braxton Feely. He's, he's strong. Reminds me a lot of Zoe Pauatea when he was at Harriman. Uh, Braxton Feely, I think, is a, is a solid get. Had a handful of Mountain West Conference offers. Probably would have picked up a few more along the way uh, this summer. The other three guys, Brooks Jones, Cooper Ross, and Caden Chidester, they, they didn't have any offers. And, and Caden Chidester out of Richfield, Utah, I don't even know that he's been playing football at all. He has not. Think, he has never played football. And so he came to camp. He showed well. He plays in, in Richfield. And this this is kind of an, I don't know, to me this is indicative of, of uh, kind of where we're at in Richfield, Utah. I wrote an article about Chidester and his commitment. Chidester? Chidster? Chidester? Chidester. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Caden, if you're listening, I'm sorry. I don't know how to pronounce your last name. Information's been really tough to come by on him. Uh, but I, I wrote an article about him and his commitment, and I made mention that uh, Richfield was a small school in eastern Utah. And the feedback that I got was that, one, Richfield, Utah is a 3A school. Therefore, it's middle of the pack. It's not small, which isn't true. 
But the other side was that, hey, Richfield's actually in, in central Utah, not eastern Utah, which I was wrong. It is. It's very firmly. It's even probably closer to western Utah than eastern Utah, but very firmly central Utah. So I got that wrong, but that was the feedback that I got. That's what Richfield Utahns were worried about when reading about the commitment of Kate. And I didn't get any opinions or dissenting opinions about his football prowess or his offer or anything like that. It was about, hey, you respect Richfield. Look, Richfield's a 3A school. Kalani Sataki has signed, including the 10 commitments in this class, there have been 150 players who have committed to Kalani Satake since he got to BYU. Only three of them, including Chittister, Chidester, Chid, whatever, including him, that have come from a 3A school or lower. One of them was Chinoso Opara, who never enrolled. And the other one is Bruce Mitchell, who is still has not yet played. So yeah, it's is a small Bruce school. Even in the program still. Uh, that's a good question. I believe he joins this year. Okay. I haven't seen. See, that I mean, firm. there we go. That's how long it's been. Yeah. So it's a small school, and that's okay. Richfield. That doesn't say anything about Caden. Uh, but anyway, why am I bringing these up right now? I just don't know. How, how does BYU capitalize on some of the indifference? Of, of football here, right? Like how does BYU make their brand the exciting brand of Western United States football so that they can go and get some of these guys that are just flocking out of California or get some of these guys at Arizona who are looking at their two in-state programs and saying, whoa, ASU is a mess that's about to fire everybody. And Arizona is a mess that just sucks because they're a mess. How does BYU capital? Utah has done it, right? Utah's done a very, very good job on the recruiting trail. Uh, and, and they go, they don't have to recruit the state of Utah very hard anymore. They go and they pick out of the top 10 who they want and they go after those guys. But then they, they subsidize the rest of their class with out-of-state talent that's high-end. They're pulling guys from that typically would go to USC or to Washington or to Oregon. They're doing a good job. I think BYU could do the same thing but you see commitments like this, right? And we've talked about this in the past. This is not anything about Jones, Ross, uh, Cade Chidester, or Braxton Feely. This is not about them individually. It's about the, the I, I don't know, the philosophy that BYU is taking guys who are, I mean, let's call them glorified walk-ons, right? Feely doesn't really count, but the other three probably fit into this mold where BYU is their only FBS offer. And it seemed like this was something we got away from, right? Because we had like the Dax Mills, right? Like it was like, oh, this was a guy. It's like, oh, you know, the old staff would have given him an offer, but we're getting him as a preferred walk-on and making him earn it. Like, that's good, you know? And that's like, yes, all about the preferred walk-on. And so that's why with such a limited number of scholarships, I'm scratching my head. I, I'm a little why we Why we went too. away from it? Because that's yeah. what we did and it was working. Now, I know that people have immediately began to question, you know, is this Jason on you? And uh, it's not, I mean, it's not. And look, like, let's, let's come up with a theme here because we can very quickly and, and people can see it for what it is. Brooks Jones is a defensive end. Cooper Ross was offered by the defensive coaching staff. Caden Chidester was offered by the defensive coaching staff, but brought in as an athlete who could maybe play tight end or DN. Uh, even if you go through the other guys in this class who have been committed for a little bit of uh, for a little while, Leotai Kinney Kinney, that's a defensive guy. Um, 
Yeah, Brooks Jones, right? I mean, so 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 many of these guys that are projects a little bit are defensive guys. Uh, I don't know. Uh, one of our staff members at Cougar Sports Insider, Corley Ward, he, he had a tweet. He's a private account because uh, he's a he, he works in public school. You know, he can't go have an, a, a public Twitter account and say the things that he wants to say all the time. But he had a great tweet yesterday that just said, it appears that BYU's defensive recruiting philosophy is just offer the five biggest guys at camp, get a commitment from them, no matter who they are or what, how good they are, that checks the box and away you go. BYU doesn't have like four-star defensive ends knocking on the door right now to come into their program. And why would they? They, they play a little bit of a boring style of defense. There hasn't been a lot of sacks. I get it. Uh, but BYU just, it, it seems like they have settled and they have settled in a big way this year. And that isn't that does not mean that Cooper Ross or that Cade Chides, Brooks Jones, that these guys can't be great. They can be. This isn't about them. But we don't know who they are. And other schools haven't determined that they think they will or could be great yet. Why why accept that offer today in such a small class? Yeah. Why why accept that commitment? Why not do that in in September after you've seen a little bit more on tape? Right. Why not do that in December when you have other people who have already fallen off the board that, uh, you know, because they went to a Pac-12 program? Or it just is, it's so curious to me. Maybe we will see that they move on from them by then. Who knows? But it, that's it, just it, not just Kalani's style. And like, it really, that's the other thing is, is other schools, USC, like the big names, if you see a guy could decommit from USC, it's because that guy was pushed out by USC right. unless he's flipping from SC to Bama or to, you know, Clemson, he, he was pushed out by USC, but that's just not Kalani's style. He typically doesn't push guys out. Once he accepts a commitment for better or worse, he tends to stick to that commitment. And I, it's just, I, I don't even want to put that thought in people's minds that maybe BYU moves on from him because I don't think they do. That's just not how he operates. Yeah, I don't it, it just is kind of it's baffling me. Like I get like Braxton Feely is the one that I like, right? Because Feely, you know, from our reports is he kind of, you know, wanted to commit a while ago. And then they said, Hey, no, we need to see you at camp before, you know, whatever. And he came at camp and he showed up and he performed well. And so they said, Okay, yeah, you kind of taken a jump a bit, like kind of your progression has been as expected. So we are going to take your commitment. That is totally fine. I'm okay with it. I actually really like Feely's game. He's going to be a good player. He's kind of like Caden Haas Jr., right? Like we'll be totally fine in the middle. It's the other two where it's like, you not only, I mean, I guess they did see him in camp, but it's like Brooke Jones, Brooks Jones was offered before he ever came to camp. Well, and, and, and then the camp thing is only as good as the talent that's the camp. If right. you're not getting a bunch of D1 talent at your camp, then yeah, you could offer the best player of that bunch. But if they're not competing against other D1 guys, you just offer the, be the best of a bunch of guys who may not be D1 guys. Right. My, my, my biggest concern, I think, with this is we have yet to see what Preston Hadley can do as a defensive ends coach. We don't know yet. Uh, he, he's never played the position. He's never coached the position at the college level. Could he do it? Absolutely, he could do it. Could he be great? Sure, absolutely, he could. But these scholarships, 
technically they're year-to-year commitments, but really you're committing four years and in some cases six years of having a guy in your pipeline and you're committing it based on a coach that you have no idea how he can develop even elite talent right now. You're banking on guys that are flying so far under the radar that they're not even playing football. Yeah, that's concerning. Cooper Ross, love his frame. I'm higher on Cooper Ross than I think the general BYU fan was when they saw his commitment. I think he could play. I think he's going to be very, very good. He's big, 6'5", 245. His frame looks like he can get to 320 and won't even have to think about it. Like he's a big dude. Uh, so maybe he plays inside and that's what they're thinking with him. But if he stays at 265 and plays in that Zach Daw role, we have no idea if Preston Hadley can take a guy like Cooper Ross, who plays eight man football at Heritage Academy in Arizona and turn him into Zach Daw. We have no clue if he yeah. has that ability, but we've and- just committed six years, maybe seven with Cooper Ross's mission to Cooper Ross. Yeah. That's and- just, that's tough to, tough to to justify given the scholarship crunch that BYU is facing. It, it really is weird to me and I don't quite understand it of, you know, what we're going, what's going on there with that. And it's, it, yes. Is there an outside chance that this is some mad scientist? It's going to work. We're getting guys in the building who are crazy athletic. We're going to mold them. Like if you're playing defensive end, as long as you're athletic and have a mean streak, we can turn you into something, you know, usable, whatever, like maybe that's there, but one project guy class, I can understand if you're signing a full class of 25 guys taking three or four flyers, on just raw projects who are pure talent and you think like, oh, this could be good. He hasn't hit his growth spurt yet. Or this person is a very raw athlete that was playing in a bad system, but his athleticism jumps off the page. He's going to be a project, but we can work with him our way. But when you only have 15 scholarships to give and you just gave out three of them to flyers that you probably could have gotten otherwise, like Kane Chester wasn't even playing football. If you say, hey, we're going to give you a preferred walk-on, come to BYU and you'll get a chance to play football kid's going to like, he's going to show up because that literally is his only option. And so like, he's not even getting talked about, like at least, I mean, Cooper Ross, he had an offer from NAU and was talking to some other school, a bunch of FCS schools. Like he's a fringe candidate, whatever, but and, he probably and Cooper Ross, had he been playing I, at a bigger school, he probably, yeah. he'd have more. Okay. Not and, even a bigger school. If he was playing a regular 11 man football, I think that he has more. Attention. Right. Well, and he was at heritage Academy. Like he could drive 10 minutes and be coached by Max Hall and Dennis Pitta and be playing in a, one of it's the better also one hell of a student which might be why he's at uh heritage academy versus somewhere else because the dude's really smart really yeah. really so i mean with that like it's uh the it's an interesting strategy it's i don't either strategy and it seems that you're playing the odds are stacked against you and you are not playing the probabilities it just, it, well it, it feels like the defensive coaches are just thinking so hard. And maybe that's the problem. And we're seeing it on the recruiting trail like we've just talked about it. You're seeing it on the depth chart that was released today. There were 18 different positions that were listed on the depth chart. Okay, one, I got to go on a little bit of a rant. I've been told that I'm a millennial and that I like to make things about me because I'm a victim and that's what we do as millennials, right? But it feels like a slap in the face to fans to me. The depth chart that Elisa Tuiaki released today feels like he is openly mocking BYU fans. He listed 18 different positions on that depth chart. There are 
105 players listed on the depth chart today. 105. BYU, according to the depth chart that was released, is four deep at the Cinco position. Like We don't even know what the Cinco position is, but somehow BYU has not one, not two, not three, but four players who are capable of playing the Cinco position. Oh, excuse me, the Joker position. That's a new Not one. Not the Cinco. The Joker the wasn't Joker. on there last year. There is the Frodo position that is listed on the depth chart this year. I, I get that this positionless football is becoming more and more common. But to list out all of this, it's BS. It's, it's utter garbage. Making up these positions is trash. Putting this on the depth chart and re- releasing three, six, 10, 14, 17, 20, 22, 26, 30, 32, 34, 37, 40. Yes, I'm making you all listen. 44, 48, 52, 55, 56, 58 players on the defensive side of one single 2D, one single depth chart. It's a slap in the face, not only to players, because they know what's going on. They, They know who's playing and who's not. And they know that if their name number, 57 out of 58 on the depth chart that that doesn't mean that they're going to play on Saturdays and this this fall players understand that but it's a slap in the face to fans who want to show up who want to support their program who want to learn about this team and know who to cheer for know who to watch for come game day they throw this bs out there with 58 different players on it and positions that are made up that's trashed like that is one of the most that's what i'm so uh, just worked up about today is it just feels like this is a hey we know that we haven't had a whole lot of football content for fans to consume and i know that fans don't really like my defensive philosophy so here's my middle finger fans here are every defensive player on the roster here they are on the depth chart you still don't know anything else but thanks for supporting us it, it it's bs and if it's not BS, like if he's not joking, you know, Tuiaki's not joking, Coach Lamb's not joking as they put this together. If this is really like they think that they've created seven new positions, okay, we'll give them that nickel and we'll give them that the flash linebacker, those are kind of around and common now. Even if they think that they've created five new positions that the rest of the college football world is too damn dumb to figure out, if that's the level of thought process that they have right now, and that they're thinking that they can offer players who have never played football and turn them into excellent players at the Jack position. Like what are we doing? What are we doing? This is an innovation. Like there's a fine line between innovation and just crazy shit that doesn't work. And if you look at the results, depending on who you talk to, depending on what metric you want to look like or look at, there's a pretty decent argument that BYU is on one of either side of that that argument right like it's, it's not it's, definitive one way or the other so this year with the, the with the year with the schedule that is on the schedule this year with the teams that they are going to play it's going to become abundantly clear at the end of the year if this fancy football is going to work or not but it feels like BYU is playing money ball and they don't have to and that's what's so upsetting about it is they don't have to play money ball they don't have to get weird and wild on defense to make stuff work they don't have to offer guys who are basketball players in order to get great defensive ends in this program. They don't 
have to do those things, but they're doing it anyway. And I can't figure out why. And it's not our job to figure out why it's our job to enjoy games come Saturday. But when, when stuff like this happens, that they go like seemingly go over the top and out of their way to give fans absolutely nothing. It feels like it, I don't know if, if I didn't do this for a living and if I didn't love BYU football as much as I do, I would have a really hard time getting on board with what was released today. It feels like just complete BS to me. I, I mean, if we can get an explanation, right. Well, I know coaches are not allowed to say things about players until they sign. Um, but we'll keep it between us. Okay. You can text us, right? Like you can let us know. Uh, but it just doesn't like, yeah, there, it seems like there is no new, no real rhyme or reason. I was fine with it last year, right? Like it was, you know, they kind of added is what last year, the only thing that they added was Cinco, right? And it was like, okay, we, it kind of made sense because you had one extra position and it's like, okay, sometimes, right? Like it's sometimes we're occasionally going to go in a four, three look, which makes sense. Cause you kind of have your standard will Mike and Jack backers. Okay. But occasionally we're going to move to a more of like a, you know, maybe sometimes run a three, four. So, okay, there's four linebacker positions and this is who it's going to be. And then if case, you know, then maybe you have that nickel spot. Sometimes you want a fifth corner or sometimes, which traditionally was more of like a nickel and a dime, right? Like a dime being when there's, you know, the corner and a nickel being when there's more of a safety size, but it's like, so that kind of made sense, but it's like the addition of the Frodo, like that, that is what threw it over the top for me on this today of like, are you just like making up stuff now? Or like, help, help me understand if you, if you can talk to me and like walk me through and be like, this is what our plan is. And it may not make sense to you, but we wanted to do this for the guys because of this. And it's like, you know, like I may not agree, but if you can walk me through the logic and your line of thinking can change together. I I don't even care if I get, I don't even care if you can explain the logic to me. I'm just a nobody fan, but nobody fans can see the product that is on the field on Saturdays. And, and last year, even against a crappy schedule and, and even with the defense performing relatively well, right? Like, they had this Jack position and they had these made up positions, these different linebacker spots, these hybrid spots. I can watch the games. I can see who's on the field. I can see the schemes that are, that there was, there was not a lot of creativity within that scheme. And that's not just the pass rush. Like, cause come on, like guys, let's get beyond the, well, BYU isn't rushing a hundred people every play. Therefore they're not being aggressive. That that's stupid. Like we're above that. Uh, but there wasn't a ton of creative, coverage schemes there wasn't like you didn't see Chaz Ayu when he was healthy going from safety to linebacker to defensive end and doing all sorts of hybrid stuff when Max Tooley came into the game he played pretty well the same role that Isaiah Kafusi did when he was in the game but one of them was listed as a will linebacker and the other one was listed as a jack linebacker but they did the same thing like we can see what's going on the tape doesn't doesn't say that BYU is doing all these crazy and exotic things that the depth chart does or that the, the recruiting class does. What the film says is that BYU is playing line them up football with guys that aren't ready to line them up. Like that's what it says. But what, we're, and that's why I go back to this comment of either they're mad scientists and they're crazy and we just don't understand or this football staff, this defensive staff has to just get out of their damn head and start playing football the way that football is playing. I look at the offensive staff. The offense is very innovative. 
Like they run trick plays. They do creative stuff. You look at what they, they don't BS around. It is very clear what they want, who they want on the recruiting trail and how they're going to play on the field on Saturdays. Their depth chart, I don't care about the positions that are or are not there, but it's very clear that if there's somebody on the depth chart, it's because they've earned it and they're good enough to play. Right. It's not some make-believe motivation tactic. It's not anything like that. It is this kid earned this spot, so he's here. And then when you see that kid play on Saturdays, he's usually pretty darn good. And, and that's how the offense does it. They let the creativity and the different looks showcase themselves on film. Defense, it's the opposite. The, the creativity happens in media scrums. The creativity happens on depth charts. The creativity happens apparently in player projections, but we don't see much on the field. And for all of the, all of the praise about BYU getting guys to the NFL this past year, because I know that's going to be a rebuttal for people who think I'm being a little bit overreaction, uh, overreactionary right now. For all of the guys that went to the NFL, they were offensive guys. Chris Wilcox got drafted late. Isaiah Kafusi signed a deal. That's pretty well it. Kyrus Tonga got drafted, and we've known he's going to get drafted for a long time. Why? Because he's a big-ass nose tackle who just lines up and plays one-on-one football. There was nothing fancy with, with Kyrus Tonga. All of the creative stuff that happened on the defense, those aren't the guys that are getting to the league. It's the guys that are just being recruited to come in and play a role. They learn that role. They excel in that role. That's who's going to the NFL. I, I don't know. I didn't expect to get heated and fired up about this. This is but the most passionate you have been about anything <laughs> in, a long in the time. history of the show, I think. Yeah, maybe. It just feels like such a slap in the face. And I, I don't know, man. I'm just, I, I get tired of it. And maybe it kind of roots back to the scrum package. Like that just felt like, remember the scrum package? They didn't run it last year. Everybody remembers uh, the scrum. Yes. When BYU lines up Kyrus Tonga and, uh, you know, whoever else, and they, they run a quick running play. That was, that was Ed Lamb's brainchild. That wasn't Jeff Grimes. That wasn't Aaron Roderick. That was Ed Lamb, our assistant head coach, whatever he is, right? Great. It worked. It worked great. But you know when it didn't work? It didn't work when you were running it from like the seven-yard line on third and goal. But for whatever reason, we thought it would. Like that just feels like you're thinking way too much. You know when it didn't work? It didn't work when you lined up in the trick package and then USC called a timeout. And then you came back out in the trick package and you didn't even run a wrinkle off of it. You ran the same damn play, right? It didn't work then, but we thought it would. It just feels like sometimes, I don't know if it's the coach. I don't know what it is, but it seems like it's always coming from those defensive coaches and they are, they, they are the, they are the, the stumbling block. It's their own inability to get out of the way and just let guys play football the way that football is supposed to be played that hurts them and shoots them in the foot. Yeah, I don't, it, it doesn't, I've, I, you know me, I have defended this defensive staff probably more than just about anybody else. I have not said like, have I ever said that, uh, you know, have I ever said that this staff is Nick Saban or Kirby Smart or Brent Venables? No, not even close, but I have long said that this staff in the last two years specifically is like, he is the Robert and I of defense right like above average relative to college football good like consistently good 
but always has to take scratching moments and can never seem the corner to being great. But this just seems like the the game plan and the roadmap is going backwards. And instead of having a clear target, we're kind of driving into a forest filled swamp and we don't know which way to go. And I, yeah, uh, it's, I mean, it's head scratching for me. And so, I mean, maybe I hope we are proved wrong, right? Like I hope comes out and it's like, oh, there's like, they finally have the guys that they want to have. And it's like when Bronco showed up and brought the three, three, five, and it was like, oh, there's blitzes coming from everywhere. Whatever. It's probably not going to happen. And, but just, I just, I mean, I just stop opponents. Right. I mean, that's really all that I care about. Right. Mm. And, and, and I think, and I think maybe the reason I get so frustrated is because I do believe that Elisa Tuyaki and Ed Lamb are really good coaches. And I do believe that they are really, really smart. Uh, anybody you talk to around the game of football will tell you that those two men are very, very respected and are very, very football intelligent. There is no denying that. It just feels like we've allowed that intelligence to prevent us from just playing the game of football a little bit. Or, and maybe all of this is just smokescreen. Like that could be too. And if that's the case, then it's just a big middle finger to fans who are trying to support the program. And, and, and that's that's tough for me to swallow too. Yeah. And, and with that, we can get into our interview now with Brian Hancock. And <laughs> yeah, we, we do have that. So we will cut over to that and then come back to give our thoughts about it. Okay, we are joined now by Ryan Hancock, who is a former major league pitcher, former, uh, were you in the Nippon League or was it the second tier in Japan? I don't know no, how many actually, leagues ever there. Um, the, um, the, the top league in, in Japan, um, uh, I didn't uh, play a whole lot there, but I did, did um, it was the, the highest level with the major league teams though. Okay, yeah. and uh, for second team all-whack quarterback at BYU. So Ryan, thank you. Welcome. Joining yes. us is a, we, we said we're not going to call this an interview. It is a guest host segment. So if you have questions for us or you just want to, if there's something you feel is really important to talk about, then you can bring it up. So obviously we, we talked about this last week was your kind of last week. It was 25 years since you uh, made your major league debut and yeah. uh, you got a hit. I think you were one for one in the majors, right? Yes. You're batting a thousand uh-huh. and they still cut you. And yeah. uh, <laughs> So I guess kind of what has that uh, been like, or I guess kind of, you know, just looking back at, I mean, 25 years is quite a long time, right? Like I was, yeah, fi- I, I was, fi- I was five that season. I know it's, <laughs> it's funny. It, time does go fast. Um, and um, I've been thinking, you know, at some point I should pull out the old video from um, that I have from, from that game. Um, it's just crazy. Uh, nowadays you do anything, at that level, there's probably a million different ways to access, like, you know, there's video of it here or there, and you can find clips. Um, back then, I mean, I was obviously pretty fortunate that it was a big enough um, occurrence that uh, that it did make, like, Sports Center and stuff, so I was able to, like, type that. But um, other than that, I, um, you know, I it might have been – I'm glad that it was there because, and I was able to tape it because um, – uh, I, I don't even know if like the angels have, you know, keep, keep record of all their, their, their games, all their video. Um, so it was, um, I, I was obviously glad to have that, that video. Um, and, um, but yeah, 25 years, <laughs> I was doing the math, uh, um, going, man, this is the 25th year. So I should probably, 
it'd be fun to post something about it. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, it was, it was a, it was a really, um, fun day and an amazing way to kind of break into the, the major leagues. It was actually, um, uh, it wasn't my debut the day before I threw one pitch um, um, to finish a, a blowout or a game that we had lost. Um, but um, so that was kind of uneventful. Um, um, but um, that that game that I got the hit in and such was pretty crazy, obviously, um, to, uh, pretty, to get pretty wild, like a pretty wild occurrence back then. Right. I mean, like, yeah, and I think it. I think it's probably fair to say, and you might disagree and you're a humble guy, so you probably will, but you were like Shohei Otani before Shohei Otani, right? I mean, well, you were yeah, a pitcher I mean, who ranked like Otani's not batting a thousand. It was, it was fun. I was cool because that was, I think that might've been the first year they started um, interleague play again. Um, so the whole idea of pitchers having to hit, um, where it was starting to come to the forefront again, even though that's not why I played. And I, it wasn't an interleague game. Obviously, we were playing against the Indians. And the reason why I got up was not because it was playing against a National League team. It was because um, they had taken out um, the DH um, a couple of innings earlier. Being an extra inning game, a lot of times uh, coaches will sacrifice um, that DH position in order to get the right matchup bring in a pinch hitter thinking okay the game's probably going to be over the next time they come around the order to the to that spot so um actually i think um it had already gone around um the the batting order had already gone around once and one of our pitchers had already had to hit in that position if i remember correctly and he struck out pretty handily um it was like the 10th inning and i came in and like might have been like the 11th inning and um uh and yeah it was um crazy situation i you know i didn't have any batting gloves that spring training um the pitchers had started to do um batting practice a little bit because of um uh interleague play and so we worked on our bunting a little bit um we didn't really get full hacks in the batting cages they just like <laughs> they figured oh yeah you, you might get up to bunt so we'll let you practice your bunting but um but so i i had taken a few swings and in, in spring training that year but um that's you know march and I, and this was um june um and uh so you know i just get, had got called up the day before obviously um it's training game we were basically out of um relievers um and I was the last guy left on the bench. The rookie just caught, called up, and um, and they're like, "You, you got to hit." <laughs> I was like, oh, "Hey, got nothing to lose." They're, you know, I'm not really nervous about it because if I strike out, who really cares? So um, I just asked around. I was like, Any, "Who's got a bat I can use?" And <laughs> Damien easily uh, um, was like, "Yeah, you can use my bat." And he, so he gives me his bat. Unbeknownst to me, it was cracked. And that's why he let me use it. Um, he didn't um, expect you to even make contact. Yeah, it was just the hairline crack. So I couldn't, you know, it's not like split in half or anything, but just a small fracture in it. And they don't use their bats once they're cracked. So um, so I go up to bat. Um, and not only that, but um, I, I have a pretty big um, head. And um, 
the helmets that they had brought. Um, no one had a double X helmet. Um, and <laughs> luckily, the Indians also have Navy helmets. And so in between innings, they ran over and borrowed from their equipment guy an X XL um, helmet. And I can't remember if they put an angel sticker on it or not, or if I just went up there with a the generic. Yeah, I got to go helmet. find this video now. So yeah. I, gotta take a um, I, I looked at closer at mine and it's hard to tell. I can't remember if, if they even put a, a, a sticker on it, but so I get up there um, with maybe, I think it was one out at the time and uh, Julian Tavares is pitching and, you know, he's brings low nineties to mid nineties and, so I'm just going to swing at everything, basically. Um, and it <laughs> looks like a fastball. Um, I think that's all he threw me was fastballs. I think he threw me two fastballs, um, both kind of up up in the strike zone. And I, the first one I was just way behind, and I, and I think I tipped it a little bit. And then the second one he threw like in the same spot, and I caught up to a little bit more of it and, um, and um, fouled that off on two. And, and I'm thinking <sighs> – Gosh, I, I can barely recognize a fastball, let alone if he throws me some kind of breaking pitch. Um, but sure, on 0-2, I think it was, he threw me another fastball, and um, but in the same spot. So, like, uh, you know, that's kind of like a cardinal mistake as a as a pitcher. He kind of really blew it. He just felt like I was that bad, I guess. Um, he <laughs> threw three pitches in the same spot and gave me a chance to time it, and and I poked my bat out there and got a knock over the first baseman's head. Um, actually, um, that was Manny Ramirez that fielded the ball in right field. He was a rookie that year. Oh, wow. Um, that's crazy. And, um, and, uh, I hit it pretty well. And I, and I remember thinking like, um, that might skip past him and it did quite. Um, but, um, but I basically didn't uh, have, you to were win. ready to book it to second. Like, yeah. Well, that was exactly. that, that. That was Easley's fault, man. If he'd have given you a bat that wasn't cracked, that that's a double down the line. I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so anyway, um, I, I'm on first base, and I remember um, there was some other Latin guy playing first base, and um, he was not uh, one of their starters. Um, it wasn't like that was when Jim Tomei played there too. Was he a first baseman? I can't remember. Yeah. Um, uh, anyway. There was a there was a first baseman um, playing, um, and so they weren't even holding me on, um, and um, they were kind of jockeying behind me like they do when um, they've got a non-threatening base runner, um, and um, and I remember them just talking Spanish to each other. That um, the pitcher um, with Tavares was from uh, the Dominican, also I think, and uh, not sure if they were saying uh you know let's pick this guy off or whatever but <laughs> but i didn't get too far off the bag i remember um the next hitter um garrett um anderson i think he struck out so there was two outs and um jt snow came up and hit a home run and i didn't even have to run the bases which was nice <laughs> um, so it was a tie game and so that put us up by two runs i believe um and um um so I basically just had to go up um, the next inning. I had already pitched a couple innings at that point. Um, um, I can't remember exactly. Um, uh, I, I had some control issues in that game, but my arm felt pretty good. I had a few strikeouts. I think um, I'm trying to remember if 
Uh, I do also remember this. Um, I remember facing Albert Bell in that game and um, throwing like a terrible curveball to him and thinking, uh, like wincing when I threw it, thinking that's going to get hit over the fence. And um, he just took an ugly hack at it and fouled it off. And I was like, wow, like these guys are not like invincible. Like um, you can actually get away with making a mistake and you don't have to be perfect. I remember that realization in that game. Um, that was one thing that was kind of funny. Um, but anyway, so this was about the third innings I had been pitching um, um, when all that happened. Um, and so I, I just had to go out and get three outs and get a win. And I go out there and I think I walked like the first two guys. And I was just like, what am I doing? You know, all I have to do is get three outs, get my first win. I already have a hit under my belt. And that was when um, uh, they, of course, are going to bunt over the guys um, because um, in that situation, there's no outs, runners on first and second. So Kenny Lofton's up, who's a great bunter. Um, uh, um, he he uh, pops that bunt up, and um, it was just perfectly placed where um, the um, base runner had to kind of commit because it it – unless I made a crazy play and dove, um, he was going to be, um, uh, out. I mean, he had to get to, to third base cause too close to like, yeah. So he got so far off the back that, um, I just hopped up and made that throw to second and got a double play. Um, so I was just, it was divine intervention in that game. Everything was, <laughs> was pretty, um, lucky, um, and, uh, perfectly worked out. So, and I think, I might have grounded out the last, like Sandy Alomar, um, my, I, the catcher was uh, one of the last hitters. I think I grounded him out to get the the win. But um, but I also remember uh, this is back in the day before this. Thinking of <laughs> how long ago, twenty five years ago, was um, I didn't have a cell phone yet, um, and so I'm. But you did have your Disney, you did have your Disney employee pass. So you could go to Disneyland for free. Yes. Yes. I was a, I was a Disney employee back then, um, which was, was awesome. They gave us these silver passes so I could go to Disney, uh, 24 seven. But, um, uh, but anyway, I didn't have a, a cell phone. So we're in Cleveland and it was the last game of the, of, um, of the, um, uh, before we had to go to, we were going to Kansas city then that, that, it was a Sunday day game. So we were going to hop on a plane and go to Kansas city for the next game. So we were kind of getting rushed out of the locker room for, um, uh, for to get on the, on the team plane. And um, so I didn't even have a real chance to like call my, this game wasn't on TV back home. It was just um, uh, probably on radio or something. So I don't even know if my wife like knew I was in the game or any of my family. So like I quickly um, called on like the dugout phone or whatever it was or, or the phone in the clubhouse and um, was like, I, I don't really have a chance to a time to tell you uh, what happened in the game. I got a win and a hit and stuff. And uh, I said, just watch sports center <laughs> uh, because uh, um, um, I knew that uh, um there would be stuff on, on sports center. So that, that was pretty fun. Um, that was, that was funny because that's the way basically my, 
because we were on the plane for a few hours. And um, so uh, my my wife and she called her family and they all watched Sports Center, and that's how they found out what what happened in the game. Um, what a but, uh, a different that's era. Like, yeah, that's pretty much a rundown of that of that day. So um, uh, it pretty much is all, you know, that was that was peak right there. You know, I mean, I had some good stuff happen after that. I, I got, got into the rotation and, and pitched well, um, for, for quite a um, few weeks there. Um, actually took, uh, Jim Abbott's place in the rotation when he started struggling, um, and, uh, um, got a few wins as a starter, but, um, but, you know, some things, uh, like I had a labrum injury after that and tried to pitch through it, but, um, Promising but, angels, pitchers, and arm injuries. Name a more yeah. iconic duo. I know. Yeah, I, I see you mentioning that. Um, yeah, the angels. Um, it's it's funny though because I I feel like the angels actually they're they're they've always had um kind of a um a mantra of letting their pitchers um um, throw a little more. They, there's some organizations that are really careful with, um, with their pitchers and like pull them after like 80 pitches and, you know, their, their minor league systems don't let them like throw a lot of innings and the angels actually did. Um, but, um, I'd like to think that that didn't, you know, hurt, hurt us, but maybe it did. I don't know. Um, uh, I, 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 my labor injury was not major, but, um, it was very poorly timed. <laughs> um, so, uh, it kind of knocked me out of the big leagues, but, um, but I'm well, not that's... about to com- complain about, um, you know, what happened with me because I, I think, um, I was lucky, um, to get the chance that I did, um, and to yeah. do the things I did because, um, I have so many friends that were better pitchers than me that never made it. Um, it's just that hard to make it, um, into the, into the big leagues. So, um, anyone who even gets a cup of coffee, um, you gotta have the utmost respect for because it just takes amazing good fortune. So you, you kind of, I think that's a decent segue into uh, into some of the BYU questions we have for you, Ryan. I mean, timing and injuries and things like that, that really is like such as this, this huge critical role in sports that you really can't yeah. predict. You can't talk about it, but it was timing and injuries that brought a guy like Baylor Romney to the forefront of BYU fans' minds. Yes. And now here he is battling for the starting quarterback spot with Jacob Conover and Jaron Hall. And yeah. it was, I mean, it was purely injuries, right? That brought him into this situation that he's in now. What do you Certainly. make of this whole quarterback race? I mean, there's three guys that I think are pretty darn talented. Um, How do you think this shakes out? Well, um, I could tell you one thing. Um, I don't have any worries. Um, uh, I don't, I wouldn't say that I have any strong um, over the top preferences amongst those quarterbacks because I, I, I have my, ideas of who I think will play and who maybe should, but, um, but I will say that um, I don't know Conover. I haven't seen him play heard enough about him to, to have pretty good confidence. However, um, uh, with Baylor and with, with Jaron, the number one thing playing quarterback and especially at BYU is you just have to be prepared to be a leader and to be confident. Um, 
you don't necessarily have to be a world beater. Um, you don't have to um, have all the ability. It, I think most important is just that um, you know how to direct a team and um, you know how to um, exude confidence and to be just a leader um, because the quarterback position at BYU is just um, – it's just always been the leader of the team and you have to be – that type of personality and Baylor showed that um, sometimes you see guys come in and you've seen it over the years. There's been quarterbacks at BYU that have kind of faltered a little bit. And usually I think it's because of a confidence thing. Um, let, you know, if, if usually if they're, if they're getting in the game they're they're going to have the physical skills to be somewhat successful. Um, but it's, it's the mental side um, and just the leadership side that's most important. And I think that um, Baylor's shown that he, you know, is not afraid of it. Um, Jaron obviously has made enough starts. Um, he he's shown he can do it. Um, um, so I'm not worried about it at all. I, I think it's a plug and play system. I think all the guys that are there are all smart enough and work hard that um, um, that we're going to be successful again. Um, I, I, I have high hopes um, for the team this year um, because um, I don't think there's going to be some huge drop off in the quarterback position. Now, this is a couple of weeks ago. We talked about that, how comparing like 2019 felt a lot like 2005 with Zach Wilson, right on the cusp, kind of like how John Beck was. And then obviously 2006 was great. And we had last year and it kind of seems like it is a very QB friendly system and you have quarterbacks who just have that attitude, right? Like I think obviously Max Hall won more games as a starter than any quarterback in BYU history, but we all agree like Max Hall doesn't have the greatest arm. Like he could make sure. most of the throws. He couldn't like, there are throws that Zach Wilson can make that Max Hall was physically like just his body would not do it. But yeah. Max Hall had the attitude that as soon as he yeah. stepped out on the field, he like he was a field general, right? Like he yep. expected to win to succeed. And so everyone rallied around him. And I think, yeah, you know, like you said, where it's just most of his attitude, like you don't you don't get an offer and you don't get to even be in the QB room if you if your physical tools are not good enough. Like if they don't clear the bar, then yeah. you're not even going to be in the program. But do you agree. have the attitude yeah. to run with it. Yeah, very much so. Um um, and that's why I get frustrated when <laughs> I see guys that do get in what, even if it's BYU or other teams, um, uh, it, you, you gotta exude confidence and you gotta, um, um, act like you, you belong there and, and you can't do stuff that, um, is not, um, I don't know. Sometimes you see quarterbacks that, um, um, or they say things uh, that aren't team friendly, like, you know, they'll, they'll blame something on someone else. You have to be able to take responsibility for everything. Um, and um, uh, um, I don't know. Uh, again, I, I, I just think um, uh, the, the maturity and the, the confidence um, are just such an important thing. And, um, and uh, yeah. <laughs> what do you what do you think it is that A Rod does, man? Because like 
we we've seen, I mean, even 2017 was kind of a disaster year for quarterbacks, right? I mean, it was just a revolving door and even going back to like Bronco with, uh, I mean, really every quarterback after Max Hall seemed like every year there was something there. What, what do you think it is that A-Rod is doing or, or is it something that A-Rod is doing? Cause in the couple of years that he's dealt with quarterback injuries and guys just having to be ready to go, it doesn't matter who who he turns to. They they look prepared. They look confident. They bring some swagger. Is that just like natural ability that these dudes have, or is this like uh, it's hard to something say, that um, A Rod does? Um, no. Um, well, there comes a point where you got to think. Um, a part of it um, is definitely the coaching. Obviously, um, there a lot of times the coaches are going to say, um, "Hey, you guys give me." these guys that have great abilities and I just kind of shape them and mold them a little bit. Um, and NA rod seems like a pretty humble guy and kind of says the same kind of thing, but he definitely, uh, um, uh, there's something there. Um, he, he, uh, um, he, he has an eye for it, for it. Um, for sure. Um, he, um, hasn't really put people out, like you said that, um, that haven't shown confidence, um, um, you know, so I, I'm, I don't know A-Rod Wells. Um, I haven't gotten to, you know, be in on anything he's done before, but, um, but I've heard enough good things um, that um, he, he seems to uh, um, not um, put too tight, a, a mic, be a micromanager of the quarterbacks. He, 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 gives them a little bit of a leash to um it seems like um to uh i don't know uh like they can just go out and be themselves right yes. i mean if they make a mistake it feels like it's feels like it's really natural that it doesn't really matter yeah you know, like I, i'm thinking back like 2019 when it was there were times of zach and jaron and baylor and even joe critchlow for a minute yes I remember. Like they all, they all got to do what they do. Like he tailored yeah. the offense to, to what the skill set was. And I, that seems unique for a coach. Like some coaches just jam that system down people's throats. Sure. It doesn't seem like A-Rod's that guy. And um, no, I, I, I agree with that. He's, he is very good at establishing confidence um, early with these, these guys. Um, um, when, when you see them early in their um, playing time situations, uh, um, he'll, he'll give them a lot of the, um, the short passing games. Um, fortunately too, um, we've, he, he's had, he's had a good running game and, um, and, and had some other ways to take pressure off the quarterback. Um, yeah, he's not, um, you know, having them, uh, you know, jump super deep into the playbook to start. Um, you know, he, he has a feel for, um, where they're at in their development. Um, and, um, and he knows how to, uh, um, work with them that way. So, um, uh, yeah, he's no, um, he's no rookie to that, uh, that whole process. Um, um, it, we've, 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 uh, been fortunate to, um, to have him, uh, and I mean, he, yeah, well, the, the more I think about it, yeah, he, he is, is excellent with, with that development side of, um, it, it, of a quarterback. In my, in my head, I, I like to think that it's – and this is the BYU fan and the Utah hater in me. 
it, it makes me, I, I want to believe that A-Rod had to learn that skill because sure. Whittingham wouldn't let him do anything at Utah. Yeah. So it was like, look, quarterback, you just go do whatever you do because I'm going to get in trouble no matter what you do. So no, like, that's, it, that's what I think yeah, maybe it is, you know? I guarantee you he had a different situation at, at Utah. Um, I mean, they, they've proven time and time again with the way that they work their offense. Um uh, they do put a leash on them um, and they do yeah. um, restrict them. Um, and they, you know, they, you know, maybe, uh, um, <laughs> I don't know. It, 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 it's just, there's a t- fully different um, uh, process or it seems like um, with the way, um, you know, you see a quarterback develop a BYU versus here. Now, if you compare what BYU used to do with what they do now, it's kind of interesting too. Um, uh, you know, with the whole, these young guys coming in, so ultra prepared versus, uh, I'm not saying that in my time, uh, we weren't prepared, but, um, it was a lot more accepted that when you came in, you were going to ride the pine behind a couple, um, um, uh, you know, upperclassmen and you didn't start talking about transferring from day one. And I'm not saying that that's the wrong thing because these quarterbacks are ready to go. Um, Just different. Like you didn't, um, I'm sure, I mean, did you have a private throwing coach at all for either for pitching or quarterback? Like if you went to a high school that had a coach that knew what they were doing, then you were lucky. And otherwise you kind of, you had what you had. Yeah, exactly. It it, is again, like, so there's your difference right there. I mean, um, these, these guys have, all these, I mean, I, I, I had some passing league stuff and some year round football stuff, but nothing to like the level of development they have now. Um, these, you know, camps and coaches and uh, obviously I had baseball going on. So I, I wasn't able to focus the same way some of these guys do, but, um, they are for, further along. Um, and I think that's why, um, you know, we, you do seem it's a more of that happen. These guys wanting to play as true freshmen, um, and um, and has having success, and um, and then you got the negative side of that of the the threatening the you know transfer or um, you know that's that's a whole different um, man. You could talk about that forever too, um, as far as whether that's a smart or a or a, a bad thing. Um, you know, but, um, I'm glad that, um, we've been lucky enough that we haven't had to see, um, uh, a good quarterback leave yet. Um, you know, it'll be interesting to see with three really solid options this year, what's going to happen there. Um, but, um, but again, I, I, I could see all three of them succeed. Um, um, as far as this season is concerned. Yeah, so we've got uh, three minutes before Zoom is going to kick us off, and Jeff has to, and I both have to go to meetings for our actual real jobs. Uh, so <laughs> the real job. It's the, the worst. The, so I guess last question. Uh, we got like a couple, just two minutes. Um, you know, today we had with Media Day, the depth chart came out. How much does the spring depth chart ever matter at all to players? Or is it just like you don't care what happens till game week rolls around? Oh, gosh, yeah. No, it doesn't matter. Um, if some guys might use some of that stuff to motivate them, um, and that's fine. Um, and sometimes they might use it on purpose to motivate them. Um, you know, I think, uh, uh, some of the coaches are kind of sly that way. Even, um, Kalani, um, might try to light a fire under someone, but, and say like, Hey, you haven't earned anything. Um, but, um, 
but yeah, I, I, there's no reason to, that's just overkill. That's like preseason rankings. Right. <laughs> it's the same thing. To, today seems really banana. I've never seen a depth chart. There are 105 names that are listed on this, the depth chart that came out today. There are 18 different positions listed on the defensive side. Like only 11 guys are on the field. Sure, but they're sure. four deep in 18 different positions. It's bananas. Yeah. It just feels like a joke. Hey, um, it's kind of nice to see us um, loading up with uh, at least the name to put on there, let alone, um, you know, maybe a star, <laughs> a starred athlete, you know, for whatever that matters. But <laughs> that's awesome. Ryan, this has been fun, man. I appreciate you hopping on with us today. Yeah. Um, w- let's, let's do it again. I, 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 I'd be happy to help whenever, um, um, I need to be more of a regular podcast, um, person as far as, uh, there's a lot of good content out there and, um, and, uh, um, I've listened to a few here and there, but, um, but I know you guys have a great one and, um, and, uh, thanks for having me on. It was great to have you. And thanks again and, uh, give them hell this week, whatever you're up to. Yeah. Okay. Well, good luck on your real jobs. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So we talked to Ryan. I said this at the beginning of the show. I loved how much, I don't think I wasn't expecting him to talk of for as long as he did about that game. Uh, you know, when he got a win and he got a hit, he was actually one of only two American league pitchers to get a hit that season. The other was Roger Clemens. Uh, but I kind of feel like, like we were the only maybe we're the first platform that kind of let him tell that story. Right. Cause it was, it wasn't just like, Oh yeah, I went, I got to win. Like he was reliving all these like, Oh, I remembered I pitched to this guy. I pitched to this guy earlier. I threw to this guy. I hit the ball over Jim Tomey's head and uh, you know, Manny Ramirez was a rookie playing in the outfield still. Cause he wasn't fat yet. And like, you know, the, all these things. And it was awesome to like, hear him kind of relive that. Cause it's like so cool. Right. Like it's every, every kid's dream you know, to go through and to see that and like to be able to play in the majors. Yeah. I loved it too, man. Just let him talk baseball. That was fun. Uh, it's cool to hear from, from a guy like Ryan Hancock. Like he, he was, he's, he's got some legendary PYU stories that he, he can tell he's played in some big moments. We didn't even get into uh, that. Like we I, we had to talk about, it. we had the, we got to get him back to talk about the football questions. Cause we talked mostly about this upcoming season and the current staff, and his baseball career. We haven't even talked about his football career. That's he he did talk about you know his opinions on the quarterback race. I, I think Aaron Roderick kind of tipped his hand a little bit today. Whether he did it intentionally or not, I think he kind of told us who the starting quarterback is without telling us who the starting quarterback is. Like maybe he maybe he's been watching TikTok videos, brother Roderick. Maybe he you know, tell me you know who the quarterback is going to be without telling me who, you know, who the quarterback is going to be. I'll go first. Like, it feels like he caught on to that trend. Right. When he said Aaron Hall is going to be really tough to beat if he's healthy. Like, yeah, that feels that's, like that's Aaron about Hall's as, my guy. That's about as slam dunk as you can get in terms of coach speak. And I think it's really does. I mean, I think they have to be not necessarily banking on, hall's health right like it's you they know that going with hall be it romney or conover has to be ready to go because head injuries are one thing and you know they those concussions don't really go away and he's coming off of a hip injury so it's he's gonna have to kind of change his game a bit to ensure that he stays healthy because he kind of played with a little 
reckless abandoned swagger, which is great. And I love that from a quarterback, um, but he's got to make sure that if he's the guy that he stays healthy. Um, and so it'll be interesting to follow and kind of see where that there's a, but I think that pretty much buttoned it up that it's, he is the guy. Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Um, I don't know, man, though. I, I, I've been on the Jaron Hall bandwagon and I'm on the Jacob Conover bandwagon. I feel like I have not given Baylor Romney his due credit. Uh, I went back, watched some of those spring throws that he made and, and I watched him at, at media day today. The dude's thick. Like he's stronger than he once was. Like that guy's put on some muscle. That guy, he looks good. And if BYU turns to Baylor Romney, I'm with Ryan. I feel more confident. I, pick a guy. I don't care. Pick any one of these three guys. And I think that BYU is going to be able to score points. And, and, I've, and I really, I'm not going to be upset because it's, I assume 100%, um, you know, I assume 100% that the guy who is picked is going to be the guy who won the job. Like, I do not think that, you know, there's no politics in that offensive staff, right? They're not playing that game. Mm and it's their jobs are on the line they're not going to especially the quarterback position you can't get there's no favorites in a qb job right like it's because your offense your entire the entire offensive staff's fate and their jobs depend on the starting quarterback and so if there is a question mark about who that will be and you know you're not going to play favorites with a starting quarterback because you know it's you're going to kill yourself and so whoever it is is going to be the one who won the job and they I think it is going to be fun. The playbook is going to be different. And that is something that Ryan brought up too, that it's, they have, you know, the play selection has been slightly different for each of the three quarterbacks and, or I guess each of the three meaning Wilson in 2019, Wilson, Romney and Hall, the play selection was a little bit different to fit their strengths. And he mentioned something that's something that Aaron Roderick is very good at in terms of play selection is the, you know, what he did as the passing game quarterback is they were asked to make different types of throws because they have different abilities. But the biggest thing, the absolute biggest thing is just the attitude. And I think all three of those guys have the attitude. I mean, we've seen it from Jaron Hall. We've seen it from Baylor Romney. And there are reports that, you know, when Jacob Conover got home from his mission last year and came in, he said, like he told the staff that he expects to be the guy. And he's like, I don't expect to be handed to me. He said, I just believe that I'm that good and I will win the job. And so if you yeah. have that attitude, like it's, you know, it, all of those guys, they can make the throw. Obviously, Jaron Hall is fast. Baylor Romney and Jake Conover, they're fast enough to be slightly elusive. They're, you know, they're not Peyton Manning standing back there like a statue. Um, but they, you know, all of them, I think, have the attitude to win and to get guys rallying behind them. And that's honestly, that's the biggest thing at this level is having the rest of your guys trust you because you can make the throws. You won't, you don't get invited. You don't get a scholarship and you don't get invited if you don't have the arm, but it's like, can, do you have the attitude to go out and get over your mistakes and just go out and go for it all the time? And do the guys in the locker room trust you to, to be there and to make those throws, right? Like, and so it's, but actually getting the ball where it needs to be, they can't. Guys, I just want the defense to be good. We're back to the defense. I just, I just really want the defense to be good, and I think they can be. I don't know. I'm just, I'm like, I got fired up, and I, I don't regret anything that I said. I believe it. I just want this defense to, to be good, and it's getting, it gets hard to. I don't know, man. Like it gets hard to watch games against USF where. The quarterback is throwing with all thumbs on his hands, and uh, we know that he's going to run the ball. But 
but nobody could stop him. Nobody could stop the running game. It's frustrating. And it just seems like games like that are, are games, they, they just happen regularly. And it's just that the players are there, the scheme is there, but sometimes I think that, I don't know, it just, it's all I can think about right now is the defense. Sometimes I just, is this going to keep you up just tonight? Get, is this going to keep you I. I think I got a little, I got to go find some Tums or something. I'm getting a little bit of heartburn about it. Um, you know, like it just feels like got to get out of our own way. Let players play. Let players just make plays. Put the best 11 on the field. Forget the hockey subs. Put the best 11 on the field and let players make plays. One thing I do like that the defensive staff has done, and, and it's subtle. People aren't talking about it. Zoe Fawatea is down to 290 pounds, though he's listed at 305 still on the depth chart. He's down to 290. And he's playing him. defensive end this year. That's our guy playing the Zach Dahl role of that big, strong end. Zoe Fawatea, if he doesn't have to worry much about gap coverage and defending the run as much as he would inside, that dude can get to the quarterback, and he's going to be a machine this year. So I'm pumped about that. Yeah, I don't know what we will see with him. I imagine, I imagine he's going to play inside and outside based, you know, kind of situationally. And he will not always be, you know, like if we're running a three-man front, he makes sense to have as an end because kind of your end, your one end is going to be a kind of bigger tweener. And then you're going to have help with the backer that's kind of actually providing that edge rush on that side, right? Or, you know, and so I think we'll still see him slide inside and like so on four man fronts, but that that was an interesting development. And I think with him, because he's where he's kind of struggled with injuries, I think him slipping up a bit can actually free him up to do more. And it will be, and he's got, he's got husband strength now. Like he got married over the off season. So, I mean, he's just got that like, He's a dad. I mean, he's not a dad yet, but he's kind of a dad. He's the dad of the house. And I know I don't lift weights and I know that I don't work out. And yet when anything is heavy in my house or if jars need to be open, I can deliver every time. And the only explanation is because I'm a dad. I am the dad of the house. And that's just what dads do. So he can't get injured anymore. He's a dad. I'm banking on that. Zoe, you are a fan of the show. And uh, I think getting married for you is going to be the best thing because you just become a dad. Now you got dad strength. But you have to go buy some new balance shoes first. I know he does have his give him hell, bring him hat. We didn't even pay him. He gave us a shout out for that last season. He, oh, he man, ordered the hat got, himself and he gave it just, he didn't have swag. to pay him. So, I mean, that was pre NIL. He was repping the brand oh yeah so he's just got swag he, he's got way too much swag to, we're, uh, we're gonna get him once we are he's able got himself to. a new tribal tattoo that looks pretty dope i don't know if it's tribal it's got like a west valley city thing but uh, it looks great i've expected big th- i've always expected big things out of zo uh but this year's the year man it's all coming together a little bit lighter i like it i like it a lot uh so that is a great development from the defensive depth chart there's just some things that I don't understand. And when I don't understand, I either assume it's because I don't know. I just don't understand. I don't know what to assume anymore. I just don't understand some of these things. It, nothing. And when I don't understand, I get frustrated. You know, I've been dealing with that with my two-year-old lately. 
Um, you know, yeah. when she when she doesn't understand, she gets frustrated. Uh, you exactly. didn't you didn't scream the way a toddler does, but you inside ranted. I did. Yes, on the inside you did, and <laughs> you thoroughly lashed the airwaves with your words. So, yeah. you know, well, well, here we are. It's uh, this has been a long show today. Yeah, because this is a long show with, with a half hour interview and then our normal show, but it's we've covered a lot. So I think it'll be, I mean, this all just really ties back to that it's sometime in the 70s. Yeah. Pierre and what's her name? Margaret Trudeau went on vacation to Cuba. That's really where the imagine, show started. And now we are here. We went from imagine there. Imagine how different the world would be if Fidel Castro. I guess his kin came out and said, Hey, you know what? It's true. Imagine I, how different the world would be immediately. Did I, I don't know. That would, I want that to, I kind of felt like that's what happened with the NBA yesterday morning with like all yeah. the stuff like CP3 is going down, Kawhi's hurt, and the Jazz still lost. Oh gosh. Did that lose. Was a, that was, that was then, a tough pill to swallow. You know, and so it was, you know, there was a lot happening yesterday morning, but I, that would be a great, so many memes. It would be great for the memes and the mematic faithful who are here to create them and provide entertainment content for us all. But Jeff, it has been a great episode. It has been a long episode. This has been some of the best, this might be one of my favorite episodes that we've done with all these rants and raves, and hopefully we get some answers and, you know, come check us out. We still have our site up, givemhelpbringham.com. Um, with all of your merchandise needs share the show bring a friend and get father's days coming up maybe we'll do a father's day sale okay and so you fathers can you know, we'll throw a father's day sale up we'll have a coupon code we'll uh um we'll say we'll just the coupon will be fathers okay we'll do fathers and father's day in case you forget one of them you can try both um so we'll we'll get a coupon up on the website and for uh to get a discount for the holiday for that loved one in your life and until next week, Jeff, give them hell. Give them hell. <laughs>